Father, we have set our eyes on stuff this this week that doesn't even compare, not even close. We've uh, sometimes idolized it. Sometimes we've just let our mind sit there long enough to make it a something that would be equal with you. For some of us, we've struggled this week making everything about this whole week like a, just physical. It was about the body. It was about production at work. It was about just flesh. And there's a part of life that's about flesh. But oh God, nothing compares to you. As so we come to today to worship you together in spirit and in truth, praise you that you inhabit the praise of your people. And we ask that you would teach us and lead us into understanding your word and loving your son more. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, if you turn over there. Um, this summer, we're going through kind of a series, and it's kind of a fun little series where we're saying, okay, what are some questions that Jesus asked why did he ask the question, and uh, what can we learn from uh, the answer? A lot of times he would teach by saying, okay, do you really get this? And today we're, we're kind of coming to this question of understanding. And uh, in particular, we're asking, do we understand, or Jesus was asking, Nicodemus, do you understand what it really means to be born again? That seems like an old phrase, this idea of born again, but it's crucial for you and me to know, do we have new life in Jesus or not? And if we do, what does it look like, and and what is it supposed to look like, and and what are ways we think we know what it looks like, but it really, it kind of doesn't, you know? Um, And so we want to just examine this interaction that Nicodemus has with Jesus, or really that Jesus has with Nicodemus here in John 3. So we're going to read verses 1 through 15. And, uh, and then we're going to jump right in together, okay? John 3, 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do this, these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand? These things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. 
If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who, he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So this idea of having new life is crucial for you and me. We have to get it. We have to know that we have it. And it's crucial for a couple of reasons. One is for the security of your soul. Like what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus here is not some superfluous technicality. It's not some like really strange outside for the, for the really spiritual among you only. This is central stuff to our Christian experience that all of us have to get. And again, the the two reasons is for the safety of your soul, that there's not confusion. As you have come into the family of God and experienced, if you've experienced new birth, and we're going to look at what that is, then, then you need to know that you've experienced new birth. Nobody here who's alive looks back and says, well, I wonder if I was ever born. No one does that. We don't spend time thinking about that because we know we were born, right? There may be lots of different family scenarios. You may have been born in a different place, but all of us have it in our heart and know for sure that there was a moment in time when we were born. Most of us have birthdays, and we celebrate them because we were born. We're glad we're alive, right? But secondly, so so that you will have security, Right? How much do you need to do to be in the kingdom of God? There is so much insecurity in our soul, and we don't know how much effort it's going to take. And so we do a little bit more, a little bit more, and we work a little bit harder because we want to feel like we've earned and we're in the family. And so for the safety and security of your soul today, Jesus wants to understand, and wants you to understand and me to understand what it means to be born again. But secondly... Our witness is really crucially impacted by our understanding of being born again. The primary ministry of this church is not that we can have ministries that call people to come into the walls of this building so that they will hear the gospel. It's great that we have dramatic things. It's great that we have a choir concerts. It's great that we have children's programs. It's great that we have Awana and youth ministry and all of these different kinds of things. But the reality is that if we have 300 people in every service, that we will be far more effective as salt and light if all of us leave this place and speak accurately about what it means to be born again in the backyards of Sheboygan County. While you're gardening and your neighbor comes out to talk to you and suddenly you have an opportunity to speak about Jesus. We will be far more effective if you're ready when you're working at McDonald's or at your job, uh, wherever it is you go, that, that you're ready with an answer and you understand very clearly what it means to be a believer. And that your job, my job's not done when I say, do you go to church? Oh, you go to church? Okay. Job done. Check. I witnessed. Well, no, wait a second here. We need to speak clearly about the person of Jesus. That's what it means to evangelize or to fulfill the great commission of the church. Speak clearly about who Jesus is 
and I can't sit back and say, well, I've got Bennett for that, or we've got uh, James for that, or we've got some program for that, Vani, we've got children's ministries for that. That's all good and fine. They exist to build the kingdom. But that doesn't leave you and me, in essence, off the hook. Because when we're out of this salt shaker, we need to be salty, ready to speak about Jesus to anyone and everyone who will listen. The primary ministry of our church is not this meeting place, right? This is definitely us bringing our hearts to God. It is the worship of him. It is the unfolding of the word. It is the ministry of the, uh, of the church. But the primary work of Christians is to bring the gospel with us as we live our lives. All right? So that's the twofold reason why this is so crucial. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, he wants him to understand what it means to be born again. There was a certain man of Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him. So we know his name, and we know that he's a ruler, and we know that he's a very, very religious person. Further, we know that he met with his Pharisee friends and hung around and had been observing Jesus and trying to figure out who this guy is. John chapter 2, we looked at last week, the wedding feast at Cana. He turns water to wine. There's a little bit of a hubbub, and the Pharisees begin to say, who is this guy? Now, we're just coming off the Passover, and so the time in Jerusalem where Jesus comes in and he turns over the tables and speaks with authority to the people in the temple, and now the Pharisees are looking at each other, Nicodemus in the lead, saying, who is this guy? Who is this guy? I tell you what, I'm going to him, and I'm going to tell him that we know who he is. And so Nicodemus comes to announce to Jesus that his cadre of friends knows who he is. Now, if we want to examine Nicodemus as the way to make certain that we are unclear about if we are in the faith, if we are in the kingdom of God or not, we learn some important lessons from him. Lesson number one, if you want to have insecurity in your faith, or if you want to not be sure that you're in Christ, and by the way, we're on number one here, you must have new life. We learn from Nicodemus that you should surround yourself with a cadre of spiritual people who have the scriptures and, and, and reason with them about who Jesus is. Right? That's a really good way to get yourself lost and, and, and to get yourself insecure. Ask your friend, what do you think about this? What is your opinion about Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? And kind of just let that question out there and let them ask how they will. We, we are in an age where we have tons of people who come together and want to tell Jesus who he is. Can I tell you something? Jesus knows who he is. And Nicodemus and all of our friends who are, who are kind of meeting together and asking, well, who do you think Jesus is? Instead of having moments like that, they would be well served. I would be well served if instead I came to Jesus and said to him, tell me who you are. That would be a better plan. Nicodemus could have come to Jesus by night and said, we see you doing works and we see that God seems to be at work in you. Tell me more about who you are. He doesn't do that. He says, my group of friends know that you must, must be some kind of teacher. And Jesus is about to blow him out of the water with who he tells him that he is. But if you want to be unclear about your if you're in the kingdom of God or not, surround yourself with a, with a group of people 
that kind of reason together and try to figure it out yourselves. Here's another way that can make it unclear for you. Place your judgments and opinions over Jesus in Scripture. Place your judgments and opinions about who Jesus is over what Scripture says about Jesus. Again, Nicodemus doesn't come and say, uh, the Old Testament says, he doesn't come and say, tell us who you are. He doesn't appeal to Jesus' authority. He doesn't even appeal to the Bible's authority. He appeals to to his own authority and to uh, his friends and and what they've thought about and what what conclusions they've come to. And if you're going to place your judgments and opinions over Jesus in Scripture, you're going to have trouble. Now, let me give you an example of that. You say, well, that doesn't happen anywhere in my life. It happens in my life all the time. I've had conversations with people who, who regularly say, well, you know, all religions lead to the top of the same mountain. God rewards sincerity. And, and this passage would help you and me say, what? Where do you get that? Listen, God does not reward sincerity. God does not say, everybody who tries a little. God does not say, if you just have a nice heart and a genuine spirit. And we live in a sea of people who want to make the scriptures say that. It just doesn't say that. Because Jesus in this passage is trying to help Nicodemus see that he, he in essence, is trying to to control his own destiny. And he, in essence, is trying to control Jesus himself. So if we we place ourselves and our judgments over Jesus, even subconsciously, we are going to have some trouble. I'm telling you right now, Nicodemus is saying, Jesus, we, the religious institution of the world, want you to submit to us. And nobody is going to get through this life and appear before the throne room of God and say to to God, well, all of us just thought that pretty much everybody was going to be okay. We thought that you were loving and that your lovingness meant that we were all going to be with you forever one day, especially people in the USA, especially people that were kind-hearted, especially people that did humanitarian projects, especially people that were really nice. We thought we were all okay. And Jesus is trying to say to Nicodemus before it's too late, in essence, where did you get that idea? Don't think that Jesus is who you want Jesus to be. And I can't think that Jesus is who I want him to be. We come to Jesus and say, Jesus, tell us, who are you? Let's listen to his words. Let's listen to his authority. And Nicodemus comes and has it all figured out. So those are a couple of uh, bad plans. And lastly, uh, another bad plan is when we come to uncomfortable teachings in Scripture and, uh, and, and we want our interpretation of them to remove the discomfort. The, my example of that is that Nicodemus uh, sees that Jesus is uh, measuring up to some of the messianic claims. That is, that Jesus is Messiah, and yet he doesn't want to give up his own authority. He doesn't want to give up his position as ruler of Jerusalem and controller of the religious institution of the day. So he can't conceive of a... uh, His mind is blown by the idea that his whole dream for his life, everything that he's worked for, might be wrong in the sense that Jesus has come to replace it. 
And so he's trying to conceive in, a, in his mind a way that his authority could remain alongside of Jesus' authority. So listen, when you come to Jesus, your authority can't remain alongside of his. We submit ourselves to him. We give ourselves to him. And, and Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God there simply means uh, the, the reign of Jesus, the reign of God in this world in the person of Jesus. In the Old Testament, you might, if you want to know any, the kingdom of God, you can look to Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But basically, John the Baptist has said, uh, the first words were, were uh, today the kingdom of, of heaven is near. And so when he began to announce Jesus is the Christ, he was saying, hey, the king, that's the word to use. The kingdom of heaven is here. When Jesus came out in his public ministry in Mark chapter 1, he said, uh, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the concept here is that Jesus is the Messiah that all of the Old Testament is pointing to, and God's kingdom is here in him and so that's all that the, the concept of the, the kingdom of heaven is, is about. You will be with him, forgiven of your sins, and uh, uh, alongside or reigning with Jesus um, as you are born again. So unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Bono, a year ago, had a, uh, he's the lead singer for the, the band U2, and he says a lot of confusing things over the years. If you've been following his life, sometimes he sounds really converted and sometimes he sounds really unconverted. But a year ago, in his most recent interview, he sounded really converted when he said this. So Focus on the Family interviewed him and they said, so um, often those that struggle with accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's this idea that he's the one and only Messiah that trips them up. How do you respond to this? And Bono says, Jesus isn't letting you off the hook. Scriptures don't let you off the hook so easily. When people say, you know, good teacher, or you're a prophet, you're a really nice guy, this is, how Jesus, this is not how Jesus thought of himself. So you're left with a challenge in that, which is either Jesus was who he said he was, or he's a complete and utter nutcase. You have to come to make a choice on that. And I believe that Jesus was, you know, the Son of God. And I understand that we need to be really, really respectful to those people who find that ridiculous and preposterous. And so Jesus is identifying himself here. Listen, all of the book of John is a work to identify that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God himself. John chapter 20, verse uh, 21, it speaks of these are written that you may know Christ that he, and that he is the Son of God. All right? That's why the book was written. In John chapter 1, we looked at last week, we had, remember John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He's saying he is, he is deity and he is sent from God to, to, what did the Lamb do? He was killed to take away the sin. So he shed his blood. Jesus is the ultimate Lamb of God. John 1. Uh, further in John 1, a little bit later, Nathaniel. It, Jesus says, I saw you when you were under the tree. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? He says, oh, I, I know you. And Nathaniel says, wow, you surely 
are the Son of God. And so here we have John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And we have Nathaniel saying, Here's the Son of God. And we have Nicodemus, who has the Old Testaments and knows all the information, is saying, We think maybe you're a teacher sent from God. And do you see what he's doing? He's pulling Jesus all the way down to that level where John the Baptist is saying, Lamb of God, and Nathaniel is saying, Son of God, and John wants us to see that Nicodemus doesn't get it. Maybe you're a teacher sent from God. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, well, we're going to see. His response to Nicodemus is incredible as he continues to help Nicodemus see who he really is. But number two, so number one, we see that... um, that you must have new life, and we're going to unpack how to have that new life or what that looks like as Jesus continues to have this interaction with Nicodemus. So number two, new life comes from God by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he's referring here to a a passage of scripture in Ezekiel. And so if you turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, if you don't want to turn there, that's okay. You can uh, kind of jot this down. But in Ezekiel 36... Jesus is teaching this teacher of Israel the Old Testament. I mean, if there's anything that Nicodemus should know, it's what the Old Testament says about Messiah. And so Jesus is almost just saying, hey, look, you, you should really get this. I'm not teaching you some brand new thing that you should have never heard about before. You should, you should get this by now. And in particular, the this that I'm talking about is Ezekiel 36, 24, that you need to be born of water, and of the Spirit. So Ezekiel 36, verse 24, says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries. Let me stop there. They were scattered into Babylon because they had been idolatrous. The people of Israel had set up for themselves idols and been scattered into the, because God was good and was um, disciplining them, he scattered them so that they would learn a lesson. Don't have idols. Don't exalt yourself. Don't live how you desire to live, but instead acknowledge God in everything, right? So I will take you from the nations, basically after this time of discipline, And I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And so let's stop right there. It's not talking about baptism. It's talking about the reality of a need to be cleansed. So as we come into a relationship with God, we need to be cleansed of the sin found within us. We are sinful people. We are are in the flesh. We have rebelled against God. We hate his rule in our life, and we must be cleansed. 
And so this reference in John chapter 3 is Jesus saying, first first things first, you're going to have to be cleansed of your sin. Now, as we live our lives, guys, when God puts the new life in us and we become newly converted, where we have life in Christ, we don't just like snap our fingers and say goodbye to the old. It's not like the old is just gone forever. Uh, The old... Uh, still resides. The same blood that's been coursing through my, my, uh, my body and the same brain cells and the same, the same person and soul that I had from my youth, it's, it's all part and part. This is who I am. And so it's not like I come into this relationship with God and everything about me is new. No, same feet, same injuries, same uh, uh, things that are, have fallen short, same things growing old, same eyesight that's not quite right, same places my body, out of shape, and things that aren't, aren't in the way that they should be. I'm the same person in a sense. That, and, and that makes sense because when I enter into this relationship with, with Jesus, if everything became new and I immediately got a new body and I forgot those old sins and I wasn't even guilty of those old sins because I was completely new, well, then, then the cleansing wouldn't make a lot of sense because we would just get this new life and that new life in Christ would be a completely new person with a new body and new everything. But no, the, the, the reality of who I've been throughout my life, it remains. That needs to be cleansed. It needs to be cleansed for two reasons, all right? Well, three reasons. The three reasons are, number one, I'm guilty, and I need to be cleansed from that guilt. I need to be cleansed from that guilt because, number two, God is holy. And I can't walk into his presence and be his and belong to him in the midst of my sin. And number three, all the nations, all the eyes of the world looking at the people of God need to see that not even the people of God can walk in sin and not need to be cleansed from that sin. That's what's happening in Ezekiel 36. The whole world has seen that the people of God had idols set up. And God said, until you are cleansed from that sin, and even the world around you sees that I'm not the kind of God to trifle with, that if you, if you play with that kind of sin, you need to be cleaned up from it. And so for those three reasons, we need to be born of water, cleansed because we are sinful, because God is holy, and because the world around us needs to see our life cleansed, because our God is a holy God. Cleansing is an amazing process, completely dependent on Jesus, and it often creates a lot of pain in our life, doesn't it? Man, when I've got to get cleaned up from my old ways, it hurts. And you don't have to look very far for an illustration for that. If you've ever uh, put your bike down, or if you've ever got an injury, and you go to the doctor, I mean, they put you out. When they, when they operate on you. But when they clean up a wound, they don't put you out. They, they take some kind of chemicals and rub them on your body, and they dig in there, and it hurts like crazy. And so this concept of being born of water is this concept of cleansed. It's not baptism. It's being cleansed by the work of Jesus. But number two, not only are we born of water, we're born of the Spirit. That is... As I come into this world, I have nothing to offer God. I am turned away from him, and I can't want want him. I can't 
produce life. Any more than right now in thinking about it, I could produce life before your eyes. I can't produce life for me either. Right? That working is a completely new thing where there is a dead corpse of me and God places in me a new work that is alive and it is the working of the Spirit in me. Now, let me just say this. We have to beware our tendency to create dead counterfeits to cleansing and new life. And we do it all the time. Do I need to be cleansed? Well, can't I just fool the people that I go to church with? Can't I just live a little bit nicer life before them? Can't I clean up enough to be respectable on Sunday mornings? Right? And this, this idea of new life, a completely new working where God comes in and the old passions of my heart are replaced with new passions. I want Jesus and I want to study his word and I long to come after him. Can't I fake that? Yeah, and you know what? We do. We fake it all the time. When we come to church and we sing a song or we, or we sign up to help with VBS. Or we, we, and, and listen, here's the difficult thing. Is that there are people in Christ that signed up to help at VBS. And there are people that are faking new life that signed up for VBS. That there are people who are being cleansed day by day by the working of the, of the Spirit of God in their life from their sin. And there are other people that have an, an external appearance that they're sort of cleaner than they used to be that help out and serve in this place. And so we have this reality that in this place, our eyes can't always distinguish who has been born of the Spirit or where the new life is. So that's why it's crucial that you come to the place where you understand that new life is directly connected with Jesus Christ. All right? So before we move on to our third point, let me just point out what John uh, chapter 3, verse Verse 8 says, because this new working, this born of, the, of water and the Spirit, is a thing that God does by the working of his Spirit. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 7. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Again, he basically said there, if you knew Ezekiel 36, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going, where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And, and here, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, this isn't a nice little thing that you can control. You can't, you can't, with your group of Pharisees back there, tell people who's in and who's out. This is a working of God. This is something that he does. We can see the effect of God transforming lives. We can hear the confession of faith. Right, But where the wind comes from and where the wind goes, ultimately it's of God. He provides the new birth. He does the working. He comes in and makes new and, and makes clean and gives life. It is all of him and it's not something that we can orchestrate and control. And so the Spirit of God is the one who gives this new birth. And number three, as we continue on, by the way, you should know that wind and spirit, that's a kind of a play on words in verse 8. That's a, the same word. And so that's kind of fun to see that he's kind of playing around with the, the words to help, us to help us see that the wind comes and the spirit comes. And uh, it's the same word in the original language. 
Number three, new life depends on God's Son, who is Jesus Christ, verses 9 through 15. Nicodemus said to him, now he's out of ideas. He really probably should have come to him with the attitude and the question of verse 9 first. That would have saved him a lot of trouble. It would have have gotten kind of to the point a little bit faster. But finally Nicodemus comes to him and and finally says, "Um, I I don't get it. How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, what's Jesus doing there? I love what Jesus is doing there. He's saying, Hey, listen, uh, you representative of the Pharisees, you met with them, and you came to me to tell me your testimony of who you think I am, and, and I'm telling you, me and my boys here, the disciples, um, you should be accepting our testimony about what we've seen. In essence, he's saying this. You came to me as the teacher of Israel, and let me tell you something. I am the teacher of Israel. Listen to me. You should be receiving what I'm saying, not coming here telling me what you're saying. That is an incredible thing as Jesus takes authority over the ones, the one that all of the, all of the Jews there would have said, he's the one in charge, and Jesus is saying to his disciples and, and anyone listening, no, I'm the one in charge. That is profound and a beautiful lesson from this passage. He's the true teacher of Israel. Jesus points out his own divinity. Again, we've already talked about John 20, 31. I think I said 21 before, but John 20, 31 that uh, he is the Son of God. And he continues to prove it here. So again, now we're back at verse 10. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and, and, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Well, Jesus, what have you seen? What kinds of things have you seen? What do you know? He goes on. Verse 12, If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe them... How, excuse me, you do not believe. Um, How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And that is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. He's again respecting the fact that, that Nicodemus should know the Old Testament. And so he's referring to the Old Testament and where the Old Testament teaches Nicodemus about him, about Jesus. He's saying, okay, let's turn to Daniel chapter 7. What does this Son of Man think? Son of Man is not a a reference that we see uh, in in lots of other places. So Jesus is basically picking up on this reference from Daniel chapter 7 and saying that Son of Man title thing, yeah, that was about me, he's saying, all right? So let's look at that, verse 13 of Daniel 7. I saw in the night vision. So remember, Daniel sees a vision of the future. He's having a prophetic vision of what's going to come to pass, and this prophetic vision is written down, it's inspired, and so therefore it's from God. Behold, the clouds of heaven, with the clouds of heaven, there came like a a son of man. He came to the ancient of days. So here's the picture. God 
on his throne and this one like a son of man coming to this uh, ancient of days, a statement about his eternal nature, that God is forever and before him came this son of man. He was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. So this one who's like a son of man, he was given power, he was given glory, a reputation through all the earth, he was given a kingdom, he was given a kingdom that will last forever, right? Uh, He was given this place where all the peoples of every tribe and nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, so it will never pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Jesus is saying to this teacher of Israel, very familiar with Daniel 7, I'm the son of man. I've come, descended from heaven. And that passage in the Old Testament that you're so familiar with is all about me. I'm the son of man. I'm the one, he he could have easily said, I'm the eternal one. I am the one who is omnipotent, who has existed forever. I am the glorious one who accepts the praise of eternity and the service of all tribes and every tongue and every nation. I am the one who is the eternal king, given a kingdom which will last forever. And he was saying to Nicodemus in this moment, that's about me. Not only did he descend from heaven to earth as the Son of Man, but he will also be lifted up. And so we have one direction as he descends and another direction as he's lifted up because we continue on. In John chapter 3, if I, uh, verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so if you remember the story in Numbers chapter 21, I'm going to tell it quickly. The people of Israel rebelled. God sent fiery serpents that bit them. Many of them were dying when they made a bronze fiery serpent and lifted it up. When the people looked at that fiery serpent, they were healed and health was brought back to them. Another statement to us that God is holy. And if we look now ahead a couple chapters to John chapter 12, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And he said that to tell us the kind of death that he would die by. And the point of the lifted up is not exalted. It's not given a, a palace throne room. It's, it's not given the authority on this earth right now do his name. The concept of lifted up is put on a cross to pay for the sins. You see what Jesus has done? Is that as the Son of Man, the Eternal One, do all glory, he has come to live this life. He has descended from heaven to live your life and my life with me and for me. And so that he can take on him my sin and pay for it when he was lifted up on the cross. He is glorious and loving. And just like in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 21, when those people who were bit by the snakes didn't look up at the, at the a snake that was lifted up there, none of them, at least in our records, 
None of them said, why is there only one way to be saved? Why is there only one way to be healed? Not one of them said that. And yet we live in a world who says, you Christians are so arrogant to say there's only one way to be saved. Listen, there's only one way to be saved, not because Christians say so. There's only one way to be saved because only Jesus lifted up on the cross is the Son of Man. He's the only one who could pay for the sins of the world the founder of every other religion and every other belief system in the world, was not God. Jesus is God. And he's saying to us, he is the son of man. And he must be lifted up. And God is so good and so gracious to provide for us the hope of the cross. Jesus points out then in closing that Whoever believes in him has eternal life. He is saying to Nicodemus here, I am the son of man. I am the ancient of days. I am the one come down from heaven. I am the one who will be lifted up on the cross. If you have me, if you believe me, you are born again. In essence, what he's saying is that the working, that the new birth equals having the son. Or stated this way, The work that the Spirit is going to do in verse 8, he is completely free to bring new life. And when he brings new life, that new life is completely connected to me believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the new life and belief in Jesus are connected, and we can't disconnect them. We can't make this new life about something else, and we can't also, neither can we make believing in Jesus this concept of, well, I I believe in God. Listen, Everyone, almost everyone who's ever lived on the planet believes in a, in a God. Okay? So it's, it's not enough to get your friend to say, I believe in God. That's not salvation. Nicodemus certainly believed in God. He did not receive Jesus as God's only way of salvation. And so what we have here is somebody who is very religious and very spiritual and very into Scripture and very reading of the Scripture and very wanting to know what the Scripture said and very lost because he did not have the Son. So here's my question for me as I've been studying this week. Do I have the Son of God? I don't want to ask this crazy question that's impossible to figure out. Um, Did the Holy Spirit move in such a way that I have new life? Because that question is harder to answer because the Spirit is completely sovereign. He does what he wills. And it's hard. What does this even mean? Because I've got a life that I'm walking around in and I... I, I can't always ascertain the answer to the question about the new birth, and neither can you. It's a thing that God does. But here's the beauty of this passage, of what Jesus is saying, is don't get tripped up on that. The new birth comes, and we know that everyone who has the Son of God, or everyone who believes in Christ alone, has been born again. That's the question we want to ask today. Do you have the Son? Are you in Him? Are you trusting Him alone? If you're trusting Him alone, then the Spirit has supernaturally and sovereignly blown over you, and He has 
made you born of water. That is, he has cleansed you for your, from your sin. And he has placed in you a brand new spiritual work where you were dead in your sins, but he has produced life. And we answer that question on our side to say, am I trusting Christ alone to be saved? Don't trust 15 years of service in the church. Don't trust a baptism that took place in your childhood. Don't trust the reality that your mom and dad were nice people who went to church every week. Nicodemus almost lived in the temple. And Jesus is saying to him, you don't receive me. Here's the, the, the flip side of that as we close. If you receive Jesus, your works don't make you more righteous. They don't make you more acceptable in his presence. Security comes from knowing you belong. How did you know you were your dad's kid? I hope I'm talking to lots of people who have great dads at home. Because he interacted with you and he loved you and he told you. How did you become his kid? By the time I was able to understand it, I just was his kid. And I loved him all the more for making me his. You can't earn it. It's completely a work of the Spirit. It's based on the working, the work that Jesus Christ did and the movement of God in your life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed. Lord, we should, our life should be full of good works. And we're not, Nicodemus was not condemned for having lots of good works. He was condemned for trusting his good works to make him right. Good works should adorn our lives. They should be everywhere. But we don't trust those good works to save us. We trust Jesus. So Lord, by your Spirit, work in our hearts. For that one who's in here today who has been in church their whole life and never been born again, I pray that you'd convict their heart and that even today as they go home, they would cry on their face before you for mercy. Lord, I praise you that nobody has ever wanted to be born again, but you've refused them. That every person who even desires a new birth has that desire in their heart because you're already at work in them. And that even the desire to want Jesus is a gift of the Spirit. And so, Lord, uh, help us to not make this more complicated than it is, but at the same time, help us be amazed at your grace and love toward us. That you have provided for us a way of salvation. Who is your Son? and that you draw us to yourself and do a new work in us by your Spirit, that you cause us to be born of the water and the Spirit, and that the wind blows wherever it wills. And Father, we serve you, and we love you. Help us have a really great time this afternoon at the church picnic. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.